When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mm, yeah. Uh, this is a great opportunity for them to rack up some points. Yeah. And so you yep. don't want to see any kind of a letdown, especially when the Sharks are looking so bad right now. Um, the Ducks have seem to have a pulse, but they don't seem like a great team. The Kings have had issues. Um, this, this, anytime you're out there, you're, you're, uh, teams are looking to turn it around if it's not going that way. And we know how the, for what a great season the Bruins had last season. They lost in a, in a very embarrassing fashion last year in, in Phoenix. So, yeah. yep. Tempe, excuse me. That's right. So, uh, you know, so there was, uh, there's a lot that can go wrong when you think it's all set up for you to go right. And, uh, and right now, it's a big, important time for them to build. Hopefully, they'll do a lot of this team-building stuff on this trip. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. You can find my work on joehaggerty.substack.com. I encourage you to get a premium membership where you can read all of my stuff on there about the Bruins in the NHL. I've also started working with the Boston Sports Journal. I will be covering the Boston Bruins for them, writing several times a week, uh, mostly on game days. So you'll be able to find uh, my analysis and my breakdowns for the Boston Bruins uh, on that site with Greg Bedard, Mike Giardi, and a, a cavalcade of stars. And as always, we're on the Pucks with Hags podcast here, um, which I believe is its 35th episode today, I think, something like that. Uh, we have Mick Collagio, a longtime friend and colleague with us today to break down some Bruins stuff. But I also want to give a little love uh, to our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. As always, we love FanDuel Sportsbook. Um, the NFL season's been in swing for weeks now, and now the NHL season is going. Uh, you can throw some wagers on hockey, uh, prop bets, spreads, over-unders, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, so you can go there and get that all done. Uh, even better, $200 in bonus bets uh, when you place a $5 bet. So go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NHL season now that it's here. And also America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, Factor Meals, uh, ready in two minutes. Uh, chef-made healthy meals, delicious meals, uh, less than 550 calories per serving. So uh, it's 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 exactly what uh, you should be eating if you're looking healthy like me, and you should be getting something like that. So Factor Meals, uh, thanks to them for sponsorship as well. Now, Mick, let's uh, let's get to the business at hand here. The Boston Bruins, they've played two games. They're now on the West Coast, getting ready to go to, on a West Coast trip. Um, just your thoughts an analysis of what you've seen so far through the first two games and how much we can really sort of glean from uh, the two games that we've seen thus far. Um, yeah, I'm trying, trying to like um, 
not get too excited, but I do like the fact that I don't feel like they're playing that well, or at least not yep. everybody is. And yep. yet they look very competent. Now uh, there are stretches where uh, they look like they're uh, not able to generate uh, pressure, uh, territorial pressure, possession pressure. Uh, they got outshot again early. Uh, so that's happened now twice. And I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I, the numbers, I don't look at from the outside in. I don't bother. The numbers don't bother me. It's that if they're not playing Monty hockey, then they shouldn't be hemmed in and getting cycled upon. And I've seen a little more of that than I want to see. But the fact that this team is able to not play great, uh, either as a group or as several individuals, and uh, still come out with W's is impressive. And it shows that there's traction from last year. It's important that there's some semblance of traction going forward, whether it's the great goaltending that has come forward. We've seen that so far. The ability to maintain the defensive system and be sturdy in that, uh, that seems to be there. Uh, there are elements that you can see it building up and there are things to be encouraged by as well. And then there's certain guys that you want to see get going. And that's why we, we get some line changes happening. So yeah, like uh, guys like Charlie Coyle, Jake DeBrusque. I mean, I, you know, it, even Azaka as well. Like I, obviously I, I think to date and in, in the first two games, I agree with you. I, I think what we've seen out of this team is probably what we expected to see. Um, pretty good defense, uh, good goaltending three to one, three to two kind of games, like tight games, empty net goals at the end, not a lot of five on five scoring, um, you know, at times puck possession and offensively, not what they were last year and not, you know, not even that close to what they were last year. Uh, and I think it's, I think a lot of what we've seen in the early going is the lack of, you know, top six center play from, from the two guys uh, that are trying to replace David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron. And that's to be expected. I don't think any of this is a big surprise. They've only got two, you know, standard five on five goals uh, that you would call even strength goals scored so far in these first two games. Um, And Coyle, especially, I think he, you know, when he gets put in these spots over a long period of time uh, in a prominent offensive role, uh, I think he just has a hard time consistently producing and, and, you know, being a line driver and showing that he can, he can be a guy that's really going to, you know, uh, hold the puck, keep it in the offensive zone, keep it moving, you know, feed uh, or set up his, his teammates for, for goals, set up offensive chances. Like I, 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 I'm much more comfortable with him in a third line center role position. Whereas uh, Jim Montgomery's alluded to a little bit, Maybe it's a little more kind of checking line where you get some offense out of them sometimes, but they're more lining up against the other team's best uh, forward line and making sure the puck stays out of the net and that Charlie Coyle plays a big, strong, fast 200 foot game. And, you know, I, I, I think that's eventually, and we've talked about this a little bit um, multiple times that I think that's the way it was going to go this year, regardless, you know, eventually I think, Especially it, may, it may flip-flop a little. It may, yeah. You know, Potter may go in there, may look good for five games, and then yeah. he may start looking a little beat up, and yep. then he may need to switch it back. And and by then, maybe the feeding, the the heavy frenzy, that the it, the game is so fast at, out of the gate. Everybody's trying to outfast each other, especially since the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. 
every coach seems to want to outspeed each other, out energy each other. And I think when the game's like that, the very beginning of the season, guys like Coyle, who is naturally fast, his speed is sort of mitigated and that takes away a huge weapon for him. So when the game's flittering around so quick like that, I think, I don't think he gets into his groove that way. I think when the game, when everybody gets a little banged up, slow down and people stay play a little more sturdy structured game, that's yeah. when his speed begins to emerge. And hopefully that's what happens. And and hopefully that happens with DeBrusque too, who I think has not played a particularly speedy brand of hockey um, to start the season either. Uh, I think he's been decent on the penalty kill when he's been out there, but just five on five wise or doing anything offensively, not um, really noticeable in, in the first couple of games. I think, you know, that that will certainly play into it. But I do think eventually, like over over the course of an 82 game season or over the course of a long stretch of time, I just I think the Bruins are going to be better off if they find somebody like Matt Patra who to play in one of those top six roles with one of the skill wingers like Brad Marchand. And if you have Charlie Coyle as the third line center that gives you the depth and allows him to play sort of a little more of a two way game than being relied on so much for offense. I think that's eventually where they're going to get going. But I, I agree. I think the smart move is, you know, you have them there to to spell Patra if Patra is physically, uh, you know, gets worn down, hits a wall, whatever, you know, and you, and you can kind of yo-yo back and forth where it's not completely set. But I think their best lineup on any given night, at least from what I've seen so far, would be Pat Patra in a top six role with a guy that can finish off offensive plays as creative like him, sort of thinks the game like he does. And then coil more in sort of a, a a plow horse third line role where you know he's he's big and strong and plays good two way right. hockey and sort of checks all those boxes and isn't expected to constantly go above and beyond maybe what he's capable of on a night. Coil has also been trained. He's been in a groove these last several seasons to be a counterattacking player, to be a neutralizing yep. player, to be a matchup player, to yep. be a guy who negates. And if he comes off the ice and nobody scored, he won the shift. That's yep. been his hockey for the last five years or so. When he scores a spectacular goal with that big, strong body of his, you get the feeling like, boy, why couldn't he just do this all the time? And he could be an awesome, you know, he could be Cam Neely, right. you know? Well, but it at, doesn't but work at 30 that years way. Old, but at 30 years old, he's he. if he's not doing it, he's not capable. Like he's had, I think, one or maybe – two 20 goal seasons i think it's just one but I, did he get 20 last year he might have had a second time last year but it was yeah. right around, you know the in like he's right in the 40 point 40 to 50 point area like i i don't think you're going to get much more out of him than that you know like he's 16 goals and 45 points to 50 playing really good two-way hockey winning face-offs playing strong to, like that's just who he is at this point when a guy's get gets around 30 years old i don't think you're going to see all this like you know, yeah, you're not going to see upward trajectory player. at that point, you know, I yeah. mean, maybe a goaltender like Johnny Bauer or Tim Thomas, but not, but not a centerman. And, right. and, uh, and, and Coyle has been brilliant in his role. The yep. Bruins are fortunate to have him. He's yep. one of the most important players on this team, yep. but he isn't going to be what we feel teased that he's going to be when he does something wonderful because it's because you because you look at it and say why there's no reason he can't well technically speaking there is no reason he can't but uh in the reality of the game and how you think the game and what your role has been and uh all of that um it's just it doesn't come naturally to him to play play uh with great offensive players and be a guy whose whose job it is to to break up the rhythm of the game you know, he re- he re- he establishes rhythm. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think it, it's a, it's great that we're discussing this and this is sort of a central issue or a central sort of narrative right now for a team that's two and O that probably didn't play the two strongest teams out of the gate, Chicago and Nashville. Um, but performed well, uh, certainly looked capable and like they're going to be a playoff team like we thought, probably going to win in a different way than they did last year, like we also thought. Uh, a little more defense in goaltending and less, uh, you know, outscoring teams and, and you know, fire wagon hockey or relying on their depth to just overwhelm other teams. And sometimes, um, Joe, here's another thing. Sometimes if you look at those some of those games last year, a lot of them were those kinds of games. But when you have the people that can score, you right. have the aces in your pocket, you well, can flip them on the table at the right moment in the third period. And well, this year, they don't yes. have as much of that. That's what I was so, going to say. So the same of it, kind of games are going to be harder to win. Part of it was their depth just simply overwhelming other teams in the third period, too. You know, when they when they could throw out four lines and three of them were just attacking all the time. Like by the third period, you were just wearing them down mentally and physically and they just lost it and the games got away from them. And that was part of their you know DNA and their blueprint blueprint for winning last year. And they're just not going to be able to do that. But like either way, whatever it was, they're not going to be second in the NHL and goals scored this year like they were last year. Behind It's going to be harder for pasta to get goals because... Yes. They're gonna they're gonna have an easier time focusing and eliminating him. They won't eliminate him altogether. He's always gonna he the guy has a million ways in a phone booth to get the yep. puck out in the net. But he but he you know keep on inventing them. He's that kind of brilliant. But yep. um but it's gonna be harder on him physically throughout the season. They're gonna put more bodies on him. They're gonna be able to get away with putting more commitment toward him. Yep. Um, and it can, the second queue go to Marsh and unless Jake, Jake DeBrus gets going and then yep. you'll have a, you know, then you'll have another. And, and completely neutralizing him on the power play. I think they'll completely try to take away his one timer mm -hmm. and his work from, you know, shooting from the dot and force the other guys in that power play to beat them. Whether it's Charlie McAvoy, not always being, you know, willing to shoot from the point or, you know, Marshan can get a little one-on-one -on -one heavy sometimes in power play setting, uh, you know, and which is part of the reason way back when Claude didn't want him on the power play. And there was a lot of controversy about one of the leading goal scorers in the Bruins at that point, uh, not being on the first power play unit, because I think Claude kind of felt that way about him. Like it was he's trying to reinvent it out there. Exactly. <laughs> he, so, he loves getting into one-on-ones. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bergeron not being there in the, in the, the bumper position, like all that stuff, I think it's going to be a test uh, because they're definitely going to take away Pasternak first and force those other guys to, to do uh, beat them like Van Riemsdyk did in the second game with the net front. Um, you know, if they find guys that can step up like that, they're going to be okay, but it's They're going to have to consistently be able to step up uh, on the man advantage and do damage to, to loosen up the penalty kills, but snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. 
GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Um, you know, I, I plenty of things uh, to read into and like uh, about the first couple of games. Obviously, the special teams has been good. Um, Pasternak is finding ways to score that uh, penalty shot against Nashville was an absolute beauty. Like the way he can whip the puck, just draw it behind him, bring it back and just whip it forward. Like goalies can't stop that. That's you. They don't know where it's going. It's an unstoppable shot, especially when you can get it like top corner right under the bar like him. So, you know, maybe he won't uh, have that many problems, Mick, if they just keep giving him penalty shots like that throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a that was a funny thing to watch. Just a goalie being so helpless against a guy who just looks like, yeah, I don't care, boom. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was I was just thinking. Um, I always had hoped that the NHL would get rid of the shootout and and make a funnel down regular season overtime to two on two, and then finally one on one. And it made yeah. me realize that. Brad Marsham would be like the the must <laughs> see TV of one on one overtime because he creates these situations inside a game himself anyway when he yep. can he loves to just just shields the puck against a player who's trying to uh, defend him and and uh, and then find a way to somehow go forward from a still position it's it blows my mind how good he is at protecting it that way it would be a fun thing to watch I wish to do it. Any um, just thoughts on um, what you've seen transpire in the first week, uh, Eastern Conference, Atlantic Division, um, you know, things you've noticed. Uh, I loved the controversy over the last couple of days about that Kuznetsov uh, um, shootout uh, goal where he, you know, just slowed everything down to a to a crawl and was stick handling right in front of the goalie. Uh, and I know he's done that a couple of times that, you know, pisses off a lot of people that think it, it's against the spirit of the shootout. I'm not even sure there is a spirit of the shootout, but um, I know when I coach uh, my 10 year olds and we do shootouts at the end of the practice, um, a lot of times I have to disqualify the kids because they do that kind of stuff where they actually stop moving forward completely. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't count. You can't do that. You got to be going North, you know, you, you got to continue to move even if it's at a snail's pace. So mm-hmm. um, interested to what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, Crosby uh, in the first winter classic in um, Buffalo in what it was 08, he um, he slowed down his shootout attempt, not to a standstill, but he brought it down to you know, probably about one mile an hour. Right. And as but he kept moving forward, discernibly yep. forward, whereas some guys aren't moving discernibly forward or making that last move where you're where you're pulling the puck back a little bit. And is he really pulling it back? Um, you know, these things need to be reviewed. Uh, I hate review, but it's a necessary <laughs> evil uh, to harass through his all time tantrum based on one of these scenarios uh, yeah. where a guy pulled the puck back on him and he thought the guy literally moved the puck self and which you cannot do uh yep. so you know so there should be enough forward motion that it should be on the player to keep the puck moving net north you know even if you're pulling it back your forward speed on the ice skates against the ice should be greater than whatever pullback you did with the puck uh so uh in that regard um you know breakaway in overtime uh you don't have any of these restrictions but you have it in the shootout because it's a penalty shot rule uh, so, so the, yeah, that's how I believe about that. 
The other thing is, is my first takeaway from a uh, first neutral game I watched was uh, it went to overtime and I saw players just going more and more into this regrouping thing, passing it all the way down to their goaltender, like a soccer match. Yeah. Um, pasta, pasta does that a lot. Pasta. Well, you know what? It's the rule. Yep. You can use it. So you should do it. I hate the rule. I've said I was on this hobby horse all last season and I'm, it took me one night to get back on it this year. And I was all ready to tweet about it. And all of a sudden I had to stop in the middle of my tweet because the overtime, the overtime went crazy. And suddenly it was, it was nuts. It was scramble. It was goals, chances. It was shots. And uh, you know, and it, and it was what you hope overtime is. Uh, so, you know, the thunder was gone, so I didn't bother doing it, but it didn't change my opinion because it took them two and a half minutes of the five minute overtime to get to that point where yeah. something happened. They got to have a backcourt rule like like basketball and the ramifications should be exactly like icing face off in your zone. No changes. Mm-hmm. Now, the other T.I. team gets to, the penalty is fresh troops for the opponent and you got three tired guys out there. Because you voluntarily took the puck out of the offensive zone. Some people want to do that thing like we were talking about in the 90s when everybody was trying to get the game better flowing back into the game. And you like you go over, you once you enter the zone, the whole front half of the rink becomes the offensive zone once you're yeah. in it. And then yeah. other people like Bobby Smith, former North Star Canadian, wanted to put like eight foot blue lines on the ice and People had different ideas of how to somehow dynamically stretch the zone once it was entered in a traditional way. Uh, I don't. I don't feel like that mitigates any of this. This this problem here is a backcourt problem. Just to borrow basketball terminology, they need so, to have a rule. So you would create the line at center ice that you couldn't cross back over with the puck no, if you had it no, in the I'd, offensive zone. Would, totally, would you go all the I'd way be, to the blue line? Yep, I'd go. I'd go. No offensive blue line. Enter the zone. You cannot voluntarily come out of the zone with the puck. If you get really? it, if you if you need your chance, the offensive blue line. I would do oh, yeah. the, I would do center ice. The center ice, I think, is a reasonable one. That's I don't want I don't I don't want an offside regroup. I don't want an offside regroup. I don't want an offside. I don't want an energy. Four out of five of these are because you're gassed. We're gassed, so we're passing it back. Or we don't like our play. We realize we've we've skated ourselves into trouble. So let's just skate the puck out and regroup and try it again. I right. hate that. Once you're in, you're in. Play hockey. I don't like this thing where where it's it's like it's if you have two Muhammad Ali's in the ring, nobody might ever throw a punch. Yeah, and you would and you would do that in uh, in regulation too, not just overtime. You would have that as a, just a standard. No, rule. no, 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 no. Just no, an overtime. Be, this is just a three on three overtime. Okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah. The three-on-three overtime has too many regroups, uh, voluntary voluntary zone exits with possession. Yep. And it it really kind of it really wastes way too much of the overtime before something finally happens that causes a turnover, a chaos, or some play connects, and you finally get the magic bullet that that gives the game a chance to end. No, and I I, I you know so I agree. I love that OT or regular yeah, season OT. I, I agree because I think you're right. I think a lot of overtime has become keep away. It really has where if you've got the puck, you're just playing keep away from the other team uh, until the right opportunity presents itself, you know, and it turns into that like possession is everything in three on three overtime. Cause once you get it, it's hard to get it back from them if they want to play that way. And they want to regular season point is in your pocket. You're yep. playing three on three hockey. You can't lose that point. This is the ultimate proof that coaches See, care more about losing, about about defending than offense. And there's nothing they can ever do that will take that away. 
Yeah. They'll always feel that way. They will always coach for their job. They will always coach not to lose. I'm so, willing. I'm willing to allow. I would change it to the center ice line. I think I, I would allow them to come out of their offensive zone at the blue line to regroup within that part of the neutral zone, you know, between the blue line, offensive blue line and center ice. But like the stuff that you're talking about where they go all, way all the way in the other end, where they throw it back to the goalie, like all that stuff, I would want to get rid of, you know, that, know that, is, that I don't know if there's that big a difference between what you would allow and what, and what, uh, I mean, because what they could always do is, uh, do the center ice regroup, have a very aggressive change. Right now, the changes are made so casually. Yeah. Um, and but but they could make them much more aggressively. They could systematize them. They could practice them, and they could do the neutral zone regroup. They don't have to go back to the goalie or to back yeah. to their own end of the rink. They only do it because they can. And that's yeah. also just more and more increments built upon as pressure is brought. As but I think I, I think puck back. Yeah, but I think it gives them less room to operate if you do it that way. And there's going to be more mistakes made if they're trying to fool around in there. So that might just incentivize them. There'll be more change in possessions, but there'll be safe change possessions because those teams won't have to get in trouble as long as they got the tag-up rule. So people can still be in the zone. You can have forward in the zone. And if I'm out trying to do the regroup and he can't get there and there's pressure, I flip it down. We do the change. And now we're we're setting up in the neutral zone and you're coming out with a puck. Yeah. So but like I said, possession, I, but it's safe. Yeah. I, I just I think that like might incentivize them to not do it as much if they have less room to operate in that smaller space between the blue line and the center line. But who knows? Like a lot of those things you don't actually understand what the law of unintended consequences or how things are going to work until you actually see it in play and execution. And, you know, you start figuring out loopholes or ways to get around it, or it does change the behavior that they have. But I agree with you in general. Well, like, what you just it, said the keep is away, the thing. Yeah. And the keep that, away, that's, that's like all the time. This is what happens with every rule change they ever make. They want a certain desired outcome. Let's allow the two lines. They don't pass. Get okay. So what did they get? What they got was, uh, an icing tip pass at the opponent's blue line instead of at center ice. Right. And you have that stick they lay in there that mitigates icing and you have the puck going up and down the ice more aggressively. And, and, uh, and it also kind of stretched the gap and teams learned how to like drop one side of the gap, but not the other side so that you could still defend the middle of the rink. And, and, you know, and so it got more complicated, but it didn't lead to all these Swedish torpedo plays that people said it was going to. There was a lot of stuff that was there at the very beginning of the 0506 season that, by the six month mark of the season before the trade deadline, you you can't make those plays anymore. Coaches right. always find a way to defend. They figure these things out and things that they in these you can't decide. So we played the took some of the best players in the world and had them play two periods of hockey with this new rule. And they loved it. I don't that that tells me nothing. Six months of regular hockey tells me a lot because strategies emerge, competition decides. One of the things that pissed me off was that the end of the 04 season. The NHL went on lockout and did all the rule changes when they came back. But that yeah. final between Tampa and Calgary, but with Tortorella and Daryl Sutter, Calgary was playing a tough, aggressive style, a physical aggressive style. Tortorella was playing an offensive style. And even though we had horses like Tim Taylor and Dave Andrichuk at that point of his career playing yeah. playing uh, gummy hockey, uh, they, this was – really an aggressive series unlike the prior year this was a really aggressive offensive series and and i would love to have seen the nhl copycat that under the old rules we never got to see what would have happened yeah i agree but i also think you know 
the game, the changes they did make has changed the game significantly as far as getting rid of like slow defensemen that can't skate and we're just like destroying people in front of their net, um, you know, hooking, holding, uh, obstructing, whatever, like all that stuff. It's it's allowed for smaller, faster defensemen, smaller, faster players to, you know, come in and make it a much faster, more skill oriented game while still having some of the toughness. But like, I, I know what you're saying, but I think there's also a flip side where those rules changes opened up a lot of, you know, what we're seeing with, with Kale McCarr, Johnny Gaudreau, like guys like that, that maybe, think, you know, 20, I think the stick 20, technology did more. Yeah, um, that's, that's played into that, it too. But 20 years ago, the, 20 years ago, you didn't see Tory Krug in the NHL, you know, 30 years ago, you didn't see Tory Krug in the NHL. Enforcement standards had it played a big role. Yep. But I also think we still have that dynamic where and we're seeing it this year. Mick, I still remember when we were covering that team and Paul Morrow would be complaining about it. You couldn't obstruct anymore in the new NHL rules coming yeah. out of the lockout, like when he was playing for the Bruins. I still that yeah. was like the nightly thing was the complaint about how they're they're calling the game differently now. And it was tougher defensemen like him to adjust because there's yeah. a lot of things they couldn't do anymore. They were going to get called for penalties. So like it, it's interesting. Um but uh, both let's... hands on your stick and it's level and the hand is in the, and your stick is in the hands of the opponent. Yeah. We don't care if you're even making contact. As soon as you are at the scene of that crime in that position, <laughs> you're going to the box. And that was the rule. Exactly. And, 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 exactly. That's, and, and even we see still, we still see remnants of that as every new season starts, including now. Yep. Um, and yeah, last year there was a lot of focus on the cross-checking for sure uh, to start the year. And you saw a lot more of it called uh, than in years past. And there's always a new thing that they're a focused pet penalty, on like that. right there's always a pet penalty and the thing that scares me about the pet penalty remember when jared tenorti was in pittsburgh a few seasons ago playing for the bruins and he yep. got wrecked uh who yep. was their forward that got uh that, that ran him over from uh and then wound up playing for seattle yeah i remember uh, i can't remember who was oh um guy. the providence kid yeah I, yeah uh, with yeah. the crazy eyes i forget yes. his name right <laughs> now he went crazy bitching at the refs when he was thrown out of that game or got a major yep. He, if you looked at the end zone replay of that, he jumped off the boards in a sprint and went straight across the ice and yeah. absolutely murdered Tenorti on, on the sideboards as he came up with the puck and then was arguing that he did nothing wrong. And that's because he was charging. Charging yep. has been a rule forever in hockey, and he just showed the textbook charge. And the fact that he was of a mind to think that what's wrong with what I did, it shows yep. how much the pet penalty has been so emphasized that, that the rest of the rule book gets forgotten. Well, charging gets forgotten because you never see a call. I see right. maybe once once that, or twice a year, maybe at max, uh, in covering an NHL team and watching every single game. But all right, let's move on to let's move on to another topic here. Um Danton Heinen still with the team on a tryout, uh, practicing with the team, not on the roster, not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we've seen this happen. You know, there's some people that really don't know what they're talking about on Twitter um, saying, oh, this is unprecedented. This is so strange. It's really not. I've seen this happen before where players no, go into the season on tryouts. It's, it happened with Jay Pandolfo in 2013 where he went into the season on a tryout um, with the Bruins and ended up not signing until I think the 11th or 12th game of the season. Um, he finally signed a contract and was, was part of the roster, but there was a long, like a month where he was basically in the same situation that Heinen's in, where he was just practicing, trying out, sort of biding his time uh, until they signed him to an actual deal. So this definitely does happen. Um, I My sense is that he is hanging around and he is here 
while the nine game uh, look see for Matt uh, Patra is going on. And, uh, you know, they'll make a determination on him once they are, they've gone through the nine games and they have to make the decision on Matt Patra about full-time NHL or, or going back to golf. Um, and I, I, I don't see any reason why Matt Patra would go back to junior at this point. We'll see what happens in the next handful of games. And then, you know, maybe he stays, maybe this uh, closes the door for him and, and Patra staying uh, costs him a roster spot. I don't know, you know, exactly how that's going to play out, but I do feel like the two things are linked because they had every intention of signing Heinen and him being part of this team. And then they, lo and behold, had this kid surprise them. And maybe that took his roster spot, at least, uh, you know, at this point. Um, you know, maybe once that happens, he signs a deal and he goes down to Providence, uh, you know, or he makes a determination he wants to go somewhere else and get, you know, an NHL look, which is going to be hard to do, you know, at this point with the the season a month in. Um, but your just your sense of what's going on with Danton Heinen, um, if you think he ends up making this team or getting signing a contract and and sort of the situation as it plays out. Yeah, and, and I, I, there's nothing keeping him from signing with any NHL no, team. No, he can sign anywhere in the NHL right, right. now. So Anybody who so would guarantee him, even an AHL contract, he could sign if he somebody thought. Somebody just you know, did that yesterday. There was a player, there was another player in this situation yep. who was doing what Heinen's doing, I think a defenseman who just yeah. signed a, an American league contract. Yeah. And if you thought you had a better opportunity to maybe get up to the NHL with another team, uh, it would make all the sense in the world to do that. And he's free to sign with anybody uh, that he wants to any veteran is when they're on a, a PTO. Right. And, and right now, uh, you know, we haven't had the wheat and the chaff really identify themselves yet. The teams that have started out poorly still believe in themselves and are going to try to get their act together over these next couple of weeks and yep. if maybe, you know, you know, we get 10 games in or something and somebody's still sucking win, then, you know, they're going to then when we get those emails from Jimmy Shapiro, yeah. the odds on who's the first coach who's going to get fired. Right. Then, um then you'll uh, then you'll see that name shoot up the ranks. Um, but but so I think fine. And this is going to have to be a very patient process. And as long as the Bruins are willing to be. Uh, patient with him hey they had him at the at the uh gala reception uh, the other yep. night uh for the uh, centennial team at the copley yep. so uh so they're concluding him in all team activities i'm assuming he traveled uh I, mean, I don't know that he didn't but if he didn't this would be the first time that he was barred from an activity that the team is going through I think normally the guys do not travel that are on PTOs like that. I'd have to check into that, but I don't know that Pando back in 2013 was traveling with the team. Um, and that was, was all Eastern Con that was all Eastern Conference travel. That Correct. Was, those so, were short trips, but right. yeah, you make you so, making sense. What's the point of him going? I get it, um, but it would be this would be the first time that Heinen is separated from the team. It would by be staying home. It would be, and then, you know. It, the situation here, he knows the team, he knows the the players, the front office. Uh, Jim Montgomery was his coach at Denver when he played in college. Like this is probably the best situation for him to potentially get a look, uh, you know, it, during the season. And certainly, you know, he's he's right there on the cusp of of pushing onto the roster based on a good training camp and based on everything you know that was said about him positively uh, going into it. Um, and maybe like part of it too, beyond the Patra sort of timetable is, uh, you know, seeing if an injury, you know, unfortunately arrives and opens up a spot or, or something that, you know, he didn't anticipate was going to be there. And that could be the impetus 
that ends up getting him signed to a contract as well. You know, we all know these things happen in, in the NHL season over 82 games. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but it, it feels to me like he's playing the waiting game for a while. It's not going to be all season. It's probably only going to be a month or two. And then, yeah. you know, both sides will eventually have to come to a decision about, does he go to Providence? Does he, you know, does he uh, go try conditioning on, assignment? On, yeah. Hook on with another NHL team. Like what's in the best interest of him. Cause you can't go, months and months without playing any NHL games and then expect that somebody's going to, you know, sign you and, and drop you into a lineup. So it's hello you know, 2020 it's... Bruins. <laughs> exactly. Um, so like, you know, I hope it works out for him. He's a good kid. Um, a good player. Like I think he's become a much better two way, 200 foot player. Uh, and since the last time he was here, he's certainly not going to drive a line. Um, I don't even know if he's going to put up the kind of offensive numbers he did his first year here when he was with uh, Riley Nash on that uh, Cracker Jack third line that actually played really well. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. But we do have Factor Meals uh, to help us out. America's number one ready to eat meal kit when it does get busy, when it does get crazy, when we do need a, a quick meal. Uh, they fuel you up fast with flavorful and nutritious, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Takes less than two minutes to cook them. They're fresh, never frozen. Meals ready in two minutes, like I said. Uh, they have calorie-conscious options going upscale with some of the things they're offering now, like surf and turf, surf and surf meal options, roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp and Cajun spiced shrimp and salmon, which is like right in my wheelhouse. This is the kind of stuff I'm all about. So it's got everything for everybody. Uh, there's 34 plus chef prepared, dietitian approved weekly options for meals. Uh, you can get snacks, you can get breakfast items. Like it's 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 a great deal. Um, so if you want to get Factor Meals, uh, go to factormeals.com/hags50 and use the code Hags50 to get 50% off of your fir first box. It's a great deal. Uh, you know, I I've tried it. It's fantastic. I recommend it to you. We love these ready to to make meal kits especially when we're, we're on the go with our kids. So one more time, that's factormeals.com slash hags50 to get 50% off your first box. You won't be sorry if you go to Factor Meals. It gets the hags thumbs up seal of approval. Um, any thoughts about uh, the West Coast trip? Uh, anything you think you're going to learn about this team while they're on the West Coast? I certainly uh, like Jim Montgomery, who was waxing about the benefits the other day of going on a long trip like this early in the season for team bonding uh, purposes and to kind of get out of Dodge for a while. There's definitely that part of it. Um, but uh, it'll be an interesting, um, you know, proving ground as California is, even if the Sharks and the Ducks aren't particularly strong teams right now and the Kings are pretty decent. And then they wrap up uh, with another match with Bedard in Chicago before coming home. Mm, yeah. Uh, this is a great opportunity for them to rack up some points. Yeah, And so you yep. don't want to see any kind of a letdown, especially when the Sharks are looking so bad right now. Um, the Ducks have, seem to have a pulse, but they don't seem like a great team. The Kings have had issues. Um, this, this, anytime you're out there, your uh, teams are looking to turn it around if it's not going that way. And we know how the for what a great season the Bruins had last season. They lost in a in a very embarrassing fashion last year in in phoenix so yeah. yep. Tempe, excuse me that's right so uh you know so there is uh there's a lot that can go wrong when you think it's all set up for you to go right and uh and right now it's a big important time for them to build hopefully they'll do a lot of this team building stuff on this trip and yep. uh 
and use this time to bond. And because this is a new dynamic, a new leadership core, and uh, or a graduated one, and and so uh, you know, and still, and there's a handful of guys who are this is their first year with the Bruins, and while they've spent a lot of time together, going back to the beginning of camp, getting away from home and being together is is unlike anything else. And looking at the Bruins' schedule, I believe they have a Thursday night game somewhere. Maybe it was San Jose, and then they fly into L.A. after that Thursday night game, and they have no practice and no scheduled availability on Friday. So I think that is going to be primetime team bonding Thursday night when they land in L.A. with no practice on Friday. Uh, That'll that'll be a a fun part of the trip for the Boston Bruins, and they'll all, uh, I think, get to know each other a lot lot better in that situation. I don't Um, know what they're going to do, but it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll it'll probably be similar to, uh, you know, about 10 years ago when – they had a game in Tampa and then they had uh, they flew to um, Fort Lauderdale afterwards. And then they had an, uh, a day like an optional practice the next day. Uh, and I think a bunch of the uh, the guys went to South Beach uh, once they got there on Thursday night and they had, quote unquote, food poisoning. And we're not able to practice on the Friday the next day in Fort Lauderdale. So it's probably a good idea. They cancel practice altogether. So they don't have to deal with the uh, fictitious food poisoning. Uh, and to try to fool anyone into thinking that's actually what was going on. Um, all right. we Twitter question of the week. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, I have no sponsor for this as of yet. So uh, contact Guy Near at CLNS Network if you want to have the Twitter question of the week sponsored on the Pucks with Hags podcast. Um, this is from Matt Keen uh, underscore on Twitter. I know unlikely, but wouldn't a Jeremy Swayman for Quinton Byfield trade be a perfect trade for both the Bruins and the LA Kings? Matt, Mick, your thoughts. Hmm. I, I understand the hockey widgetry of this. Um, I get that. I don't think the Bruins are done fleshing out their situation with Patra or Zaka. Um, mm-hmm. They know what they have in, in coil. And, and I think they're determined to go forward the way they are. I think a lot of people from the very beginning of the Bergeron Krejci situation have been eager to trade a goalie yep. and, and do something for this team that otherwise can't be done. And because of course you can get a credible backup for any, either one of these guys, because goaltending depth is always there in, in pro hockey. Okay, fine. I remember back in 88 when Harry Sinden had a team that was really coming on and sick of losing to Montreal. And Jeff Cortnall was scoring 30 goals on left wing for the Bruins. And I don't think they had had a 30 goal score since Johnny Busick. And, and uh, Don Marcotte came very close one year. I think he had 29. And, uh, but Court had 30 goals. That and had left wing you're talking. Yeah. And, gotcha. and, and, uh, and Harry already had Reggie Lemelin, who we got for nothing, playing a great season. And, uh, you know, Ranford backing up Keynes at the beginning of the season. And, and then at the deadline, uh, he goes and trades Court. And Ranford, his goalie of the future, to Edmonton for Andy Moog, who that playoff season was the backup or the complementary goalie, the number two, to Reggie Lemelin. Now, began yeah. to get even the next year, and by 90, Moog was an elite number one. But guess who was winning the Conn Smythe at the other end of the rink that final? Bill yep. Ranford. So, yep. And they had yep. a court and all. So, yep. so, but what it really, what it really struck with me was – Harry Sinden always felt like you can't have enough goaltending. 
Yep. You have to. So, so really, uh, I look at this and I say, I remember that. And I say, don't be so quick to put it all on one guy here and go forward and say, I'm going to fix my team uh, this way by trading from my embarrassment of riches in the, in the blue paint. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm a little slow to that trigger, even if I like Byfield. Yeah, two things. Uh, I, obviously, I think Byfield is a talented young player, but two things. Uh, one, I think the ship has sailed on trading a goalie at all this season. Um, I think the you know they were looking at Winnipeg. There was obviously like some smoke to that fire about uh, Shifley coming to Boston and uh, a goalie going out to Winnipeg uh, if Connor Hellebuck was not going to re-sign with the Winnipeg Jets. But lo and behold, uh, Shifley and Hellebuck both end up signing mega deals with the, with the Jets to stay there in Winnipeg. So, um, you know, I, I think once that didn't materialize in the summertime, I don't think they're going to trade a goalie in midseason. I don't think that's going to happen, especially with this team being so dependent on defense and goaltending to win right now. I think they're going to need both of those goalies um at this point the the point number two jeremy swayman's not the goalie that i'm going to trade if i'm going to trade a goaltender for this boston bruins team i think jeremy swayman is going to and i've said this a few times i think he's going to end up starting more games than linus allmark this year i think he is poised to take another step in being the number one goalie on this boston bruins team and a number one goalie in the nhl based on this season based on what i've seen based on him working every day at warrior this summer and dedicating himself to strength and conditioning and technique and, and getting to that next level that he wants to get to. Like I see it in that guy's eyes that he wants to be great and he wants to be a number one and he, and he's, you know, working for it. And I see it with the, with the work he does on the ice and the way that he's playing. I just have a sense that he's really going to seize control of things this year and take another step. And that is going to allow them to entertain the idea of trading Linus Allmark, maybe in the summertime off season, whatever. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If that does happen, how Allmark takes that. If Swayman all of a sudden starts playing more than him and maybe Swayman starts the playoffs uh, instead of Allmark, that whole dynamic is going to be interesting uh, to watch how it plays out. But if I'm the Boston Bruins and I'm going to trade one of these goalies at some point, it is going to be Linus Allmark. It is not going to be Jeremy Swayman, even if um, you have something on the table where you could get a potentially good young center like uh, Byfield or a good young forward like Byfield and, and make that trade. Mark it down, everyone. This is the year that Lemelin Moog becomes Moog Lemelin. <laughs> by, by the way, uh, I had never met Andy Moog before we uh, did the centennial thing. I had no idea that he was that small. Like, it is amazing to me that he was that great and that dominant when he was out there in the ice and the size that he was. I had no idea that that, that was, that, that was uh, you know, what he was rolling with when he was playing those games. You can thank media relations representative Mick Collagio for that. I saw him <laughs> going by and I'm like, Andy Moog, get over here. Get over here. He, goes, what, what, what? he wasn't going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. Uh, and so uh, I nabbed him and, and we got to talk to him. I'm like, Andy Moog, everybody. And I think probably some of the young people there might have been, who's Andy Moog? You know? Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> he was on the People's Court. One of the great episodes of the People's Court, Judge Wapner came out of retirement. <laughs> To judge the Andy Moog case, this was this was fantastic. A guy got a, a, a jersey that was purportedly game worn because Andy had signed one of the numbers, and they brought him in as an expert witness to talk about whether this was an authentic game worn Bruins sweater of his. And uh, you could probably YouTube. I was going to say I'm going to have to check that on YouTube. Uh, Mick, that is all we have for this week. We got to wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, as always. 
FanDuel Sportsbook is one of our great sponsors. Uh, get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Uh, there's no better time to get in on the action at FanDuel than right now with the NHL now in so- full swing and, uh, and uh, NFL uh, going every single week. Uh, the app is super easy to use. You bet on spreads, player props, over-under, so much more. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NHL season, right? And also thanks to Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Delicious, healthy meals ready in two minutes. Head to FactorMeals.com slash Hags50 and use code Hags50 to get 50% off your first box. Mix, Mick, thank you very much for joining us. Let's see what the Bruins do on the West Coast. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll see you at the rink.